Bishop Riggin recounts the miraculous story of how A to Z missions began. The truth is marching on in the southern parts of Africa. Are you ready to face the truth? Face the Truth is the weekly podcast of the Truth Church of Olathe, Kansas. Now here is the guest host for today's podcast. We have almost concluded week 12 of Revival with Evangelist Joe Savala. Revival services are on Sunday at 10, Sunday evening at 6, and Tuesday evening at 7.30. This week, though, for the first time since we began Revival, we are adding one more night to the Revival schedule. This Thursday at 7.30 p.m., we will be hosting service at the Truth Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're looking for old-fashioned, holiness, Holy Ghost-inspired preaching, this is the place for you. The truth is never outdated and is the primary focus at the Truth Church. This week, we'll be taking a break from our interviews with the men from Africa because we have a very special guest. Pastor Riggin is going to tell us how A to Z Missions began. It's amazing to see how God orchestrates things when you're doing His will. The same is true for the work of God that is being done in the southern region of Africa. As you listen to Pastor recount the story, you will note certain times where God clearly intervenes in the situation to confirm His will and to catalyze the work further. I'm certain you'll also note the passion with which Bishop Riggins speaks when we talk to him about what's going on in Africa. First of all, thank you, Bishop, for agreeing to do this session, this interview, this conversation. Over the past few weeks, we've talked with a number of men who are direct results from the work that you have conducted in Africa alongside missionary Stewart. It's been enjoyable getting to know them and understanding their personal stories and how they interact with A to Z and how they came to meet the folks at A to Z, um, yourself and Brother Stewart. And so I think it would be interesting. And I think when you and I discussed this conversation, you expressed an interest in sharing the background of how A to Z missions began. So I think that would be a great place to begin. Would you mind sharing with the Face the Truth audience how A to Z missions began in the first place? No, I am happy to do that. And I do believe that that's uh, necessary because uh, so many of our listeners have heard the interviews that you've done. Great interviews, by the way, with some of the men that have been converted as a result of the efforts of A to Z. Yet, for many of them, they don't really know what A to Z is, where it came from. They may have heard little bits and pieces of uh, the revival that is taking place in Africa, but to know the real story is something altogether different. And so, I am thrilled to be able to provide this bit of history to our listeners. So, we'll just jump right in and, and start at the beginning. That's always the best place to start. Yes, it was the year 2001 when I received a phone call. I was away from my office. Uh, we had a Christian school at that time. My wife was working in the school and she called me and she said, there's a man from Africa that's here. He wants to see you. So I told her, I said, well, I'm very busy at the moment, and it's probably going to be at least an hour before I can get there. And she said, I'll tell him. She called back and said, 
he said he would wait. And uh, I was very shocked that he was willing to just sit there and wait for an hour. Of course, I've come to learn that that's kind of the African culture. It's the way it is. So he he sat and waited on me until I got there. When I finally got there, I invited him into my office and he began to tell me that he had a daughter and son who had moved to Kansas City from Zimbabwe. He was from Zimbabwe. And in fact, he told me that he was the general overseer of a Pentecostal organization in Zimbabwe. And his daughter and son-in-law had moved to Kansas City, and he was trying to find a Pentecostal church for them to attend. Now, at the time, our church name was New Life Pentecostal Church. And so he saw the word Pentecostal and wanted to come talk to me and see if this was going to be a good fit for his family. So we began to talk, and I told him I was very honored that he would consider putting or recommending his family to come to our church. But I went on to explain to him that the word Pentecostal is a very broad term, and it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. There's a very, very wide spectrum of folks who call themselves Pentecostal with a lot of different doctrinal ideas. And so I told him where we need to start is to find out if we're on the same page doctrinally. And he said, well, that's that's good. That sounds like a, a right way to begin. So I said, well, let's just do this. I said, I want you to just pretend for a moment that I'm a sinner that you've just met on the street and I want to be saved. Tell me what it takes to be saved. And he said, oh, that's very easy. He said, just accept the Lord as your personal Savior and you're saved. I said, okay, uh, sounds easy enough. Now, where is that found in the Bible? And he said, oh, John 3:16. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I said, well, that's a great scripture. It's a beautiful scripture. But it doesn't say what you just said. You told me to accept Christ. And nowhere in that verse does the word accept appear. I said, now, what I'm asking for is a scripture that will tell me what you told me. Show me in the Bible where accepting Christ as your Savior is the plan of salvation. So he sat there for a long time. He had his Bible in his lap. It was open, and he just stared at his Bible. He didn't try flipping through the pages. He just kept his head down and stared at the Bible for a long time. Finally, he spoke up and said, that's not in the Bible. And I said, you're exactly right. It's not in the Bible. I said, so then why are you telling me to do something that the Bible doesn't tell me to do? Well, he didn't have an answer for that. I said, okay, now it's my turn. Let me take you to the scripture and show you what the Bible actually says about being saved. Now, I don't know the exact format that I used that day or the the process or which scripture I started with, but but. Uh, 
I know the basics of what we discussed because it's the same thing I would discuss with anybody. I took him to John chapter 3. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the question then is, what does it mean to be born again? And Jesus answered that question in verse 5 when he said, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So then we're faced with the question, what does it mean to be born of water and born of spirit? And so I began to take him through the scriptures. And we spent quite a while going from verse to verse as I began to show him that salvation doesn't come through accepting Christ as your Savior. Salvation comes through repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, which is evidenced by speaking in other tongues. At the conclusion of that time of study, he, again, his face was just looking down into the Bible in his lap, but this time there was a difference, because this time I witnessed the tears that were falling from his eyes onto the pages of his Bible. And I knew that he had seen the truth that I'd shown him. And he said to me, he said, I've never heard this. Nobody has ever told me this. He said, would you please come to Zimbabwe and teach this to my organization? Now that sounds like a great opportunity, but I'm a realist and I said to him, I said, well, Zimbabwe is a long ways from here, and I don't know anybody in Zimbabwe. I, I can't promise you that I would be willing to just travel halfway around the world when I don't know anybody there. I wouldn't know what I was doing. I, I can't make you that kind of promise. I said, I can promise you I'll pray about it. I'll consider it. I'll seek counsel but I can't promise that I'll come. And so he began to, to try to convince me that I needed to come. And suddenly I remembered something. I said, you know, hang on a minute. I do know somebody in Zimbabwe. There is a man in Zimbabwe serving as a missionary, in fact, that I went to college with. And I'd forgotten that he was in Zimbabwe now. And I said, now, I don't know where in Zimbabwe he is. I said, but I'll find out. And so I had a, a minister's directory, and I, I had it sitting right there on my desk. I opened it, began to flip through it until I found his name, the missionary's name. And I said, well, now, he's in the city of Harare. How far is that from you? And he looked at me. He said, that's where I live. I live in Harare. I said, well, now, this is very interesting that it just so happens I know a man in the very city where you are. I said, let me pray about it. Let me talk to him, and then I'll give you an answer. Well, it's a long story about the events that unfolded at that time. Um, I did contact the missionary. At first, he was very excited about me coming and told me, he said, this may be the revival we've been praying for, and please come. We want you to come. He said, now, I will go and check the man out. I'll go find out for sure that he really does have an organization and that all of that's legitimate. He said, but if that's the case, we want you to come. 
So he called me back. The missionary called me back in a few days and he said, I've checked him out. It is real. He does oversee an organization here uh, in the city of Harare. And so we want you to come. This is very exciting. And he was thrilled. And so I began to make plans to make the trip to go. And uh, the plans were made for me to go in July of 2001. Now, I'm not entirely certain what took place between those original phone calls and the weekend that I was supposed to leave. But about a week or two before I was supposed to leave, the missionary called me back and he said, look, we don't want you to come. And I Mm -hmm. said, what? He said, we we don't want you to come. He said, I, I don't really think the man is legitimate. I think he just wants money. And so you'd be wasting your time to come over here. And I told him, I said, brother, I've I've already bought my tickets. I've already made plans. I've got another man who's bought tickets to come with me. And and by the way, Brother Hilton, that was, as you know, that was your uncle, yes. Dave, who, who agreed to go with me. So uh, Brother Dave Hilton and myself, my wife, we had our tickets. We were ready to go. And the missionaries telling us, no, don't go. We, we don't want you to come. And I couldn't understand that. I couldn't figure out why he was saying that. Now, I still don't know all the reasons I've been told some things, whether those things are true or not, I don't know. But it was told to me that he was receiving pressure from others to try to keep me from coming based on a number of factors, the first of which was that I'm from Kansas, and Kansas is known to be a very conservative area, and there were powers that be that just did not want anyone from Kansas coming over there for whatever reason, and that he was receiving pressure. I don't know if that's the case, but whatever was going on, he had made it clear that he didn't want me to come. So I contacted at, you know, at the time I was, I was in a large oneness organization and I contacted my district superintendent. I said, what do you want me to do? The missionary has now told me that I can't come. And he said to me, the the superintendent said to me, he said, Brother Regan, you've prayed about it. We've prayed about it. Everybody feels like it's the right thing for you to go. He said, regardless of what the missionary is saying, we want you to go to Zimbabwe. And so I said, all right, that's all I need to know. So I called the missionary back. I said, look, I am coming and he got very angry and, and said, if you come, I will not have anything to do with you while you're here. You'll not be allowed to stay in my home. Uh, I will not pick you up at the airport. You're going to be totally on your own uh, if you decide to go ahead and come. And I said, well, if that's the way you want it to be, you know, I'm not happy about it, but I'll do it because I do feel like this is the will of God. So we hung up into that conversation, not on the best of terms. The day before I was supposed to fly out, he called me back and he said, I've reconsidered. I will pick you up at the airport. I will let you stay in my home. But he made it clear that he was going to be in control of the entire meeting and everything that went on. So I said, that's fine. I'll I'll work under those parameters, but I do feel like it's the will of God for me to go. So we went and we actually flew out on July the 4th of 2001. 
long, hard flight. Um, you've made that trip. Now, it was different the first flight that we went on. We flew from Kansas City to Detroit, Michigan, uh, flew out of Detroit, did an overnight flight to London, got into London early in the morning, and then didn't leave London until late that night. And so we were up all day. We didn't hardly sleep the night before on the plane. We were up all day in London, actually wanted to see some sights, didn't know if we would ever get a chance to go back to London. So we spent the day walking through the streets of London, then caught the flight that night on into Zimbabwe. When we got there, let me try to, to cut some of this down, but, but when we got there, a meeting had been set up and I would have one day that I would meet with these men in this organization. There were 25 pastors that were under this man, and I would have one day to present to them the message that I had presented to the man who first came to my office. So we did that, and I can tell you that the Holy Ghost met with us. It was an amazing moment. When the Spirit of God fell, you could tell revelation was coming to many of those ministers. I opened the floor for questions. They, they had some legitimate questions. I did my best to answer them. And things I thought were going very well for me only having a limited time to deal with them. So I had that one day to try to teach them everything. And then the next day I was supposed to speak at what they called a general assembly. And they were bringing all of these 25 churches together into the city of Harare. They were renting one meeting place and they would get together and I would preach to them. So I had that one day that I could try to preach to them. I went through the plan of salvation. It's just one service. It's one message. Didn't have time to do question and answer. Didn't have time for any of that. We had several people receive the Holy Ghost in that meeting. But what happened after I left, now the missionary made it clear that I would not have any contact with these people, that that all contact would, would go through him. He would not give them my information. If they wanted anything, they were to contact him. We found out after I got back home that the man who invited me realized that about half of his pastors had accepted the message and about half had not. And so he was about to lose his organization. It was about to split down the middle. He had to make a decision. So he made a decision to stand against me and tell them that everything I'd said was false doctrine. They were to throw away uh, any of the papers I'd handed out. They were not to, to follow any of this. It was all wrong. It was all in error. Now, over there, the man who's the overseer uh, actually provides the pastors under him a lot of times with housing, provides them with church buildings. And so for these men to reject their overseer meant they would lose their income, they would lose their churches. Uh, it was a big step. So there was only one man, from what I was told, who actually was willing to make that sacrifice. Uh, he went out a ways from Harare and started a church where he was preaching the oneness of God and baptism in Jesus' name. And so we were thankful for that. We were thankful that somebody had accepted uh, the message. Still, it seemed like that was a lot of effort uh, for one man. 
and we didn't know that anything else would ever happen. So that that was all in 2001. I didn't hear anything further from from them until 2012. It was 11 years that passed, and it was in the fall of 2012 that I received a phone call. The voice on the other end of the line had a very strong African accent, and he said, I'm looking for Pastor Riggin. I said, speaking. He said, my name is Zamisai Musakwa. He said, I was in the meeting that you held in Harare in July of 2001. He said, I believe what you taught that day. He said, now there's a lot of it that I don't understand, but I do believe it. I believe you were telling us the truth. He said, I, I've been looking for you, trying to find you for these past 11 years. Mm-hmm. I finally found your church website. He didn't know the name of my church, so he didn't even know what to look for. He said, I finally found your church website, found a church phone number, and that's how I'm getting in touch with you today. Would you please come back to Zimbabwe and teach my church the things that you taught us in 2001? My response to him was, Zimbabwe is a long way from here, and uh, I'm not going to make that kind of commitment. I said, I will tell you this, I will not come just for your church. I'm not going to make this kind of a trip for one church. The reason behind that was I'd already witnessed what happened when I went for just one organization. The man in charge gets to make the decision whether it's right or wrong, and everyone else is pretty much forced to fall in step with whatever decision he makes. So I was not going to invest my time and energy in one church where one man, again, would be able to go in and destroy anything I accomplished. So I told him this. I said, if I come, I will only come if you'll get together a group of pastors. He said, well, the pastors I know don't believe the message you teach. I said, they're the ones I want to talk to. So he said, I'll see what I can do. He ended up getting in touch with me, and he said, we do have a group of about 50 that uh, are willing to hear what you have to say, and so we want you to come. Well, again, I began to pray and seek God. I wouldn't make a commitment until I knew for sure. Now, by this time, the missionary I knew had left the country, and so there was nobody in Zimbabwe that I knew, and there was no one I could ask for help there. I, I was. I would literally be going to a foreign country on the other side of the world and be there by myself and not know anything or anybody. And I just did not feel like that was a good thing. So I began to ask around, does anybody know of a missionary anywhere close to Zimbabwe that might be able to help me? Well, I began to get two names sent to me on a regular basis. Uh, One of them is a missionary from America. The other was an African man who oversaw a very large oneness group in the country of Kenya. His name was Bishop Philip Aston. They said, if you could get a hold of Bishop Aston, he can at least give you some guidance. So I said, that's great. Do you have a phone number or an email address? The crazy thing is everybody said no. They knew his name. They did not know how to get a hold of him. I said, well, that doesn't do me any good. Uh, A name without contact information is, is worthless to me. I need to be able to get in touch with this man. And I couldn't. I couldn't find anybody that I could think of 
that knew how to reach Bishop Aston. And so I sat down one day and I sent an email to Pastor Musakwa and I said, look, it, it does not look like things are coming together. I'm not going to be able to come to Zimbabwe. After all, I just want you to know that we're going to have to just close this door. The very next day, I received a phone call from Brother David Smith, who was pastoring in Brewer, Maine at the time. Brother Smith called me, and he and I have been acquaintances for some time. Uh, he called me. He said, Brother Regan, I am scheduling services for Bishop Philip Aston from Kenya. He said, he's going to be in Kansas next week. Is there any way that you could use him for a service? I said, Brother Smith, I've been trying to find Bishop Aston. I haven't known how to get a hold of him. I need him to come. And so we scheduled for Bishop Aston to come. When he showed up that next Thursday, he walked in. I'll never forget this. He walked in the fellowship hall, suitcase in hand, and I shook his hand, introduced myself. He set his suitcase down. I said, Bishop Aston, we have to talk. He said, okay. Uh, he didn't know what was going on. So I told him the story of what was unfolding. And he said, Brother Regan, he said, I don't know what to tell you. But he said, this much I'll do. I will pray and I will ask God to give us an answer and to give us some direction. Well, Brother Hilton, the next morning, Bishop Aston came out of our evangelist quarters, walked up the stairs to my office came into my office, and he said, Brother Riggin, God has talked to me. He said, you must go to Zimbabwe. He said, God is going to do something big in Zimbabwe. He said, this is far bigger than you can even imagine. He said, in fact, it is so big. I'm changing my schedule. I will meet you in Zimbabwe. I will help you with this endeavor because God is about to do something phenomenal in the nation of Zimbabwe. Well, I, you know, of course, I thanked God, thanked him and, and felt like I had all the confirmation that I needed at that point. I got back in touch with Bishop Musakwa. I said, it's back on, told him the story, and we set the dates to come and meet. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to cut it off at this point because we have reached our time limit for this podcast. We'll pick up next week with the remaining portion of this conversation. The Bible says that God chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21. It's God's divine plan to use preachers to disperse apostolic truth for the salvation of those who are willing to believe. Believing is more than just a verbal expression of faith. It's the literal expression of faith through actions. James 2 and 18 says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. I challenge every listener of the Face the Truth podcast, if you truly believe the word of God, it will require more than just audible confession. It will require obedience to what you say you believe. Thank you to everyone who has joined us for today's podcast. We want you to know that we are here to help you in any way we can. If there is anything we can do for you, please 
Don't hesitate to contact us. Send your prayer request to prayer at olathetruth.com. That's prayer at olathetruth.com. If you live in the Kansas City metropolitan area, we invite you to join us for our services this week. Sunday morning at 10, Sunday evening at 6, and Tuesday evening at 7.30. For those who cannot attend, we will provide a live stream on our Facebook page, our YouTube page, and our website, olathetruth.com slash live. Until our next podcast, take care and God bless.